0: During his short but expansive reign, he brought millions of souls under the banner of the Mongol Empire. Riding and fighting on horseback, he and his horde advanced into Persia, Eastern Europe and China with such ferocity that even long after his reign had ended, the mere mention of his name would make men shudder, women weep and children hide. Such was the reputation of the great Genghis Khan. His real name was Tenujin Borjigin, but he was officially Genghis Khan or the Genghis Emperor, founder and first emperor of the Mongol Empire, which became the largest contiguous empire in history after his death. Now, he came to power by uniting many of the nomadic tribes of the northeast in Asia. After founding the empire, he also launched Mongol invasions that conquered most of Eurasia. Campaigns initiated in his lifetime included those against many different tribes, even the Shah of Iran, and raids into medieval Georgia all the way in Eastern Europe. Uh, These campaigns are accompanied by, in historical records, massive massacres. Of civilian populations, so we'll talk about those when uh, we get into the nitty gritty of it. But by the end of his life, the Mongol Empire occupied a substantial portion of Central Asia and China. And due to his exceptional military successes, Genghis Khan is considered one of the greatest conquerors of all time. Antony Medra is with me. It is time for us to explore the world of Genghis Khan in about the year. Uh, 1200 to 1227 when he supposedly died on August the 18th. And isn't this guy terrific?
1: That's incredible. Like you, Gareth. I really enjoyed the history of Attila the Hun. And mm-hmm. there were rumors or some talk about possible links. Maybe they were born in similar areas or in that vast area of, of Central Asia. But this guy was yeah. just phenomenal. I mean, he was just so much better, comparable to Alexander the Great. And really phenomenal.
0: Well, I found it fascinating to read about his conquests, but he started off life not particularly gloriously. He was in a a poor tribe, although his father was a chief. Um, He was married off at age nine and sent to live with his erstwhile would-be wife's family where he worked basically for them. And then eventually he was marriageable at around 12. And he got married to a woman called Borta, And it turns out that his father had been poisoned by these people called the Tatars. And that started the whole story for Genghis because he went back to avenge his father's death, but he was a kid and he was like 12 years old and he found his brothers and they rallied together, but the tribe actually cast their family out and they were in abject poverty. They had to live off of terrible things like bison carcasses and, Mm. uh, and, 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 and mice and, and marmots, which are like uh, like gerbils. And that's what they had to eat. So his life was difficult when he was a kid. First thing that was quite interesting was the approach that his father took to woo
1: his uh, wife-to-be. So his father was out on a raid, and that's what they did. And he saw this beautiful woman in a carriage being taken with this particular tribe. So he kidnapped her and made her his wife. So that's the way they operated in those days. And that was Genghis's mom. But yes, you're right. The dad said, look, you need to marry Borte. And the custom was he needed to go to Borte's family and look after them and work for them. But then his dad was poisoned. And so he was brought back to his clan. But interestingly enough, that kidnapping of Genghis's mom really set the scene for later battles, because that tribe, they really wanted revenge against his dad. And ultimately, when his dad was dead, they
0: wanted revenge against any blood of his dad. These tribal stories are quite hectic. I mean, he had an older brother, but he was his half-brother called Bechter. And Bechter apparently wanted to exercise power and took Genghis's mother as a wife. And he didn't like this at all. So he and the other brothers ganged up and they killed him. Yeah. So he killed his own elder half-brother in order to establish his uh, authority and save his mother from uh, you know, being taken as, a, as an extra wife. It's just very bizarre. Like That time was so coarse and violent and complex.
1: After he had uh, murdered his half-brother, he was kidnapped by another tribe. And he was put in what they call a wooden vase. So that it's around your neck and then your hands and then a rope tied to him. And Almost he had to like live
0: stocks, right?
1: Exactly like that. And he had to live like that. And in the end, he had to work out how to escape. And one day he did. They used to have these big get-togethers around the fire and everybody used to get drunk. And so he escaped. And there's so many times in his life, you see in his younger life, that he had to escape. And he used this tactic quite often. And he put himself in an ice-cold river and hid in the water so that they couldn't find him. It's absolutely frightening. But this is what brought them to the relationship with a very successful chief, which was Togrel. And he found the young Temujin in the river and he basically dried him, looked after him and sent him on his way back to his family. And he never forgot that. And the three of them really worked hard to sort of cement the growing Mongol empire later on.
0: Yeah, I I have to say that reading... And I found a brilliant book about him, which I I had to skim through because there's so many different tribal confederations and wars and, you know, tribes I'd never heard of before. I mentioned the Tatars, and there's an actual part of southern Russia, northern Mongolia called Tatarstan, which I didn't know about. These were a powerful tribe back in the late 1100s. And this guy went systematically through these tribes, just conquering them. He forayed into China terrorized that part of the world. Apparently, the Chinese population was never as low as it was during the Mongol Empire. And it was largely as a result of famine and plagues and the flooding of the Yangtze River. But it was also because the Mongols would just execute hundreds of thousands of people every time that they opposed them in a war. Well, he was a military genius.
1: So amongst even being an administrator, but they were very much like, um, if you think back to our podcast on Attila, they were excellent horsemen. And their enemies were used to stand fighting. But these guys kept moving. So they could never really get them. I've said it so many times in our history podcast, is speed of attack. So Alexander used to pitch up. The guys hadn't even finished getting out of bed. And Alexander would be on their doorstep. <laughs> this was so similar with Genghis.
0: The other thing they used to do is they would feign a retreat and then they'd you know, hide half the troops behind the trees or the hills. And then the enemy would think they were retreating and then they'd rout them and just take them out completely.
1: Yeah, and they used that particular tactic in the Yin Dynasty where they came up to Beijing and then they feigned a retreat and they left all their goods as if they just left the area and the alcohol. And then the people came out of the city sort of tucking into the food and alcohol. And then you made the turnaround and they came back and just flattened them.
0: It's worth mentioning at this point that the empire, and it started off tribal and then it grew into an empire, which was enormous, it took up almost all of Asia by the end of it. But if you look at the the lists of the greatest empires in world history, just in terms of the number of millions of kilometers squared, the British Empire, obviously, at its height in 1920, was 26.35% of the world. They controlled 35.5 million square kilometers. The second biggest empire that's ever existed in human history was the Mongol Empire. Sure, that's incredible. And that was 24 million kilometers squared and 17.8% of the world.
1: That's amazing. I think it, it took him up to about 38 years old to get the Mongol Empire together and sorted. And then he started going out to start conquering the greater Asia as such. And uh, interestingly enough, whereas I suppose if you look at Alexander, he did everything in 10 years. So they were two different people, but just very successful.
0: This empire was very much based on meritocracy, which is interesting because at that stage in human history, most loyalties were along the lines of tribe. And, you know, fealty and what you could do for me and what I could do for you. But Genghis Khan was an absolute meritocrat. If you were the smartest person in the village, then he would appoint you to be his advisor. If you were the best military tactician, he would put you into the army. If you were someone who was very good at sourcing food, he would make you the administrator for for agriculture and that kind of thing. So he was a real stickler for merit. And perhaps that's also why his empire expanded as far as it did. He was hugely religiously tolerant, too. He didn't mind what religion you had. He believed religion was a personal issue. He didn't force his own religion down on anyone, although he believed in the sky god, which was kind of a a religion that all of his adherents and all of his tribes mostly took to. Later, Khans became Christians. Um, He fought quite notably with the Shah of Persia at that stage. And he was Muslim, but he didn't have a problem with the religion.
1: I think uh, what people have termed is a heroic monster because, I mean, he could be absolutely brutal. If you resisted him in any way, I mean, he'd line up every single person and slit their throats. But if you didn't, if you surrendered and if you were loyal to him, he was incredibly loyal back to you. And so there was so much to him than just a brutal killer very, very tactically astute, brilliant in psychological warfare. He used to create massive fear, just let the rumors go around on how scary they actually are. And then what people used to do, they'd rather go and kill themselves. Some of the women used to just go and jump off buildings because they didn't want to get conquered by the Mongols because they'd be raped and murdered. He created that psychological warfare. Interestingly enough, on the tactical side, he learned so much from the tribes and the regions that he conquered. And he brought that into his fold and he acquired those skills. So he was never scared to learn. And writing was a big part of his, if you can call it, administration.
0: So he brought in a whole lot of different people to do that. One of the things that he learned from the Chinese was siege warfare. And they made use of it at the Battle of Samarkand, where he defeated that city. Using siege warfare, they managed to conquer a place that up to then had not been conquered. But I do want us to pay attention to some of the ugly vicious, spiteful, and nasty, brutal things that he and his army were well known for. He had a a way of deciding who would live and who would die when he conquered nations, and it was called measuring against the linchpin. Have you heard of this? No, I haven't. So apparently what they would do is they would line up all the male captives, and they would walk beside a wagon wheel, because a big wagon wheel. And if their heads were higher than the linchpin, which is a pin inserted at the end of the axle, they were immediately executed. So it was a huge wheel that they used to transport things on and the technique used to preempt against revenge attacks that were common between the tribes at the time. So if you were tall and taller than the linchpin, tough luck for you. You were executed immediately. If you were short, they'd let you live because you were probably less dangerous.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sure, that's amazing.
0: There was this guy called Jamuka who had been a friend of Genghis Khan and then turned against him. And Genghis Khan, I think, very nobly said to the guy, look. Let's be friends again. He refused and wouldn't submit himself, said there could only be one sun in the sky. And so Genghis Khan said, fine, I'm going to have to kill you. And he said, please give me a noble death. And they would do this without spilling blood. They would break someone's back. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty horrible way to die.
1: It is. But I think what the point was, is there was no blood spilt. That's why it was honorable.
0: (laughs) Having your back broken.
1: And strangulation, Gareth, was another honorable way of dying.
0: Apparently, yeah. They also used to boil their opponent's generals alive.
1: Yeah, I don't think that was honorable. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there was one guy who was in charge of Iran. It was called the Khwarazmian Empire. And the Shah was a guy called Aladdin Muhammad, right? Yes. And he basically gave the middle finger to two envoys that Genghis Khan had sent, a Muslim and a Mongol. So instead of meeting with them and talking to them, the Shah had them shaved and then beheaded and sent their heads back. And Genghis Khan was furious, so he amassed a 100,000 soldiers and headed for Iran. And this was not good news. When they eventually arrived there, they managed to find one of the Shah's top military leaders. They found him and they poured molten silver into his ears and his eyes to kill him.
1: Yeah, that's what they did. You see, so those were the people that resisted him. So I think that was the last middle finger he ever showed to anybody.
0: Well, apparently that Shah died under mysterious circumstances on a small island in the empire. But the instruction had been given by Genghis Khan. He said, hunt this guy down. I'll give you 20,000 men and two years, but find this Shah and bring him to me. So he didn't take insults well.
1: No, no, he definitely didn't. But what was brilliant about Genghis Khan is that there was definitely succession planning in place. Some of his sons were brilliant and they were doing a lot of the raiding and a lot of the battles that were fought later on. And also the grandsons, I think it's quite famous, is Kublai Khan, who was a significantly impressive conqueror himself. And he finally took over China that his grandfather hadn't managed to do. Uh, whereas a lot of our heroes... When they passed away, there wasn't great succession. And that was so impressive about Genghis, is that I think the last descendant was finally disposed in 1920. So I think that's a very successful lineage from Genghis.
0: Well, it's worth mentioning here, you you talk about succession. So he had three famous sons. The eldest one was Joki, and Joki might not have been his son, you know, because his wife had been abducted, and then he rescued her, Genghis Khan, this is. And when she came back, she was pregnant. So it may or may not have been his child. But he was, I suppose, good enough to adopt the child anyway. And Joki was by far the eldest. But the problem was that his other sons refused to submit to Joki. Now, the eldest of his other sons was called Chagatai. And Chagatai apparently had this really bad attitude. He was very aggressive and violent, not particularly calm and not very clever. The second son on that side, in other words, his third eldest son altogether, was called Ogade. And they appointed him as the successor during Genghis Khan's life because he reckoned he was the most temperate, sensible, and moral of all of the children that he had. So he really did think it through. There's also some dispute over the fact that Joki might have been poisoned by Genghis Khan's orders because he died during his father's life. And he'd become something of a political problem to him at that stage. So it is a complex story. And obviously, like any great empire, it's just never as good after the great conqueror themselves has died.
1: I'll agree with that. He was definitely impressive, um, but at least there was definitely some lineage. But what I really enjoyed about Genghis is he had so many different facets to him. Like I would mentioned earlier, military genius and tactician, but also administratively, He was so, so good at taking the best out of the regions and the tribes that he conquered and just making the Mongol Empire so impressive
0: and successful. Well, it was exactly that. And they had a code. It was called the Yassa. And that was created by Genghis Khan. And they didn't really care about your ethnicity or your race. It was very much based along the lines of meritocracy, as I mentioned earlier. And the exception was Genghis Khan and his family, because obviously they were at the center of all of this. But there were Mongols and Turks and Muslims and Indians and Chinese and Europeans. There were all kinds of people who considered themselves to be part of the Mongol Empire. And he made tax exemptions for teachers and for monks and for scholars and doctors. And he didn't have this uh, this vicious, you know, my way or the highway rule, for everything. And he certainly was a military genius, but he was also an administrative genius, as you rightly point out. They also supposedly had quite a lot of legal equality for women in the Mongol Empire, which is interesting. There are supposedly roles that women played in politics in the Mongol Empire, and they would run things while Genghis was out on one of his conquests or raids, The wives would actually run and administer the empire. But they also didn't really have cities because they lived in these yurts, which are tents. And they would move as they needed to from place to place. They didn't really have one fixed abode. They were nomadic. Um, He did eventually establish a capital near modern Ulaanbaatar. And we don't know where he's buried, right, Ant?
1: All we know is he fell off his
0: horse. He was actually shot with arrows a few
1: times in his life but he could have been buried anyway.
0: There are various stories about how exactly he died. You know, he was out hunting or he died because of a wound in his last campaign. Uh, there was also some kind of legend that a princess stabbed him with a small dagger. So we don't really know exactly what happened, but it's likely he just fell off his horse. He was already at an advanced age at that stage, but he asked to be buried long before that without markings. And just like Attila the Hun. I think these guys know that if they reveal the place of their burial, they're going to be disturbed. And he said, even if you have to turn rivers and make the rivers flow over my grave to hide my grave, you must do that. And they have discovered a permanent building which may have been a palace of Genghis Khan's. And they may be able to discover near that on the Oron River some sort of burial uh, Mound or situation or tomb, or whatever it might be, obviously they're still busy doing investigations and archaeology in that area. but there is a Genghis Khan mausoleum, although that's not the place he's buried. It was constructed many years after his death, and it's a memorial and it became something that the Chinese Communists wanted to claim during their wars in nineteen thirty nine and onward so it's it's very much a matter of pride between Mongolia and China who can claim the inheritance of Genghis Khan.
1: Yeah, China, definitely, that's part of the history. And they say he was fundamentally putting together the beginnings of China because he was such an incredible leader and such a massive person in history. I think quite a few people are trying to claim him as their patronage.
0: Well, uh, Marco Polo was one of the people who I think was instrumental in helping Western historians figure out the story of, of Genghis Khan. And he does have this menacing reputation in parts of Iraq, Iran, and Southern and Middle Eastern uh, Asia, where he has a fearsome reputation for having made pyramids out of the beheaded corpses of people from cities in Central Asia that he conquered.
1: Yeah, so those are the ones that resisted. That's the middle finger problem.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So if you let him in, he was okay with you. and he He would subsume you into his army, into his empire. But if you resisted, he would take out every man, woman and child. Exactly. A hundred percent. But Gareth, if you can imagine
1: the, the Caspian Sea and Baku, which is closer to Europe than to China, that was actually the birthplace sort of in that area of Stalin. And it's incredible that that's where they went. It's massive, massive, really the whole of Asia. And they say that the areas that he conquered was the size of Africa.
0: Wow. Unreal.
1: It's incredible what he did.
0: In 2003, they did a groundbreaking historical genetics paper, which reported results that indicate that a substantial portion of men in the world are direct male line descendants of Genghis Khan. And that means they carry Y chromosomes, which came from an individual who lived almost a thousand years ago. Now, what makes this amazing is that effectively, one in 200 men in the world today are direct male descendants of Genghis Khan. How do you like that? That's amazing. It's just amazing that there are that many people alive today who can claim that he is their great, 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 great grandfather. Blind History is brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters. All the episodes are available on the cliffcentral.com website and app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Kublai Khan was a descendant of his... And there's a great poem by Samuel Taylor Coleridge um, in which he says, In Xanadu, another famous name, In Xanadu did Kublai Khan a stately pleasure dome decree, Where elf the sacred river ran through caverns measureless to man, Down to a sunless sea. And apparently, in Mongol culture, if you're a powerful man, You can have as many wives and concubines as you like.